explain something or, or been asked to explain something and you just don't even know where to start? Ever had that experience? Here's my favorite where do I begin story. Um, a kid who, who played basketball for me, his name was Joe Winshuffle. Uh, after high school, Joe went to Pittsburgh State University down in southeast Kansas to play football. But in the summers, he would go to northeast Kansas, and he worked on this rather weird farm. It had exotic animals. And one day, Joe got attacked by a zebra. And this, it was really serious, though it's hilarious. But this thing, with his mouth, grabbed Joe by his arm and just took off running across this farm, bucking and kicking and dragging Joe along like a rag doll. And Joe told me, he's, I was thinking, so this is how I die. A zebra is going to drag me to death. And his buddies were chasing after this thing, and Joe's thinking, you know, they can't run as fast as a zebra. <laughs> and, uh, but Joe survived, and the only thing, the only real problem he had was an extremely broken arm. And when he went back to school that fall, he had the, you know, the, 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 the like monkey bars apparatus coming out of his cast. You've seen that, you know, and it was all, he was all jacked up. And he learned really quickly that there was no short answer to this question. Hey, what happened to your arm? Because if he started to tell the truth, the first 10 minutes were spent trying to convince these people he wasn't lying, that he really did get attacked by a zebra. If he crossed that hurdle, he had to tell the entire story, including how he got free. And, and then that would immediately be followed by whoever that was going to get four of their friends to come back to Joe, to, and the whole thing would start all over again. And so he told me, there's no place to start. I can't even start that story. So he just started telling people, I got hurt playing football. And, uh, and he went on. The, the guy we usually just call John in the Bible, or the Apostle John, or the Disciple John, he apparently found himself in a where do I start situation. How do I begin? John, whose book we're going to read from today, if Jesus had a best friend, it was this guy. Jesus certainly had three disciples that made up the inner circle from among his inner circle, Peter, James, and John. And, and from the Gospels, if any of those guys was Jesus' bestie, it was John. John knew Jesus better than anyone knew Jesus by the time of his death. He was a disciple of Jesus, so he learned from Jesus. He heard the teachings of Jesus, sure. But more than that, he they, they just did life together for over three years. They, they ate their meals together. They traveled together. They slept in the same place. And John had experienced seeing Jesus do all kinds of miracles, including turning water into wine and walking on water and, and raising people from the dead. He experienced Jesus washing his feet he was there every time the religious leaders sort of stepped toward Jesus with a trap or a debate, and he got to watch Jesus trap the trappers or out-debate the debaters. John was, was there 
during the, the horrifying time when Jesus was arrested. And he's probably the only disciple that followed Jesus to the very end. John was there at the foot of the cross while Jesus hung there. And it was to John that Jesus famously said from the cross, basically, hey, take care of my mama when I'm gone. John knew Jesus better than anyone. And and at some point later in his life, God laid on John's heart to write the story of his time with Jesus. God prompted John's heart to, to put pen to paper and, and tell the story of Jesus. And that's what we call the Gospel of John. And at some point in that writing process, I'm sure John had this thought, where do I start? If you've ever done very much writing, that's a really common feeling. How do I even get started? And John was thinking, how do I introduce people to my best friend, Jesus? In the first 18 verses of the book of John, we see what John, how John started that story. It's not the traditional Christmas passage. That's why I read you one earlier, so you couldn't couldn't accuse me of skipping it all together. We won't read about angels and shepherds and wise men. Because when John decided to start his story, he said, if I'm going I'm to start this story, I'm going to start at the beginning. Not, not the, like Mark, who just started at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Or Matthew and Luke, who started uh, before Jesus was born. And that's where we get the traditional Christmas stories that are great and I love. John decided... I want to get this much out of the way when I tell people about Jesus. I want people to know that my best friend Jesus was God. And that's what he's going to tell us in the first 18 verses of the Gospel of John. Every year at this time we sing a a famous traditional song, What Child Is This? We sang it last Sunday in church here. What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? Who is this? This is John's answer. He doesn't answer who his parents were or how humble were his beginnings or who were the first people to come to visit him. But he does answer this. Who is Jesus? And even though if you've read the Gospel of John, you know who this is about, or because you came to a church like this on a night like this, you know this is going to be about Jesus. I want you to imagine as we read what's usually called the prologue of the book of John. I want you to imagine you're reading this for the first time. You've just uh, had this letter show up in your town, this little book, and, and you don't know who this is about because he doesn't tell us it's about Jesus at first. He introduces Jesus as God in a very unique way that I think is pretty powerful and awesome. Let's read it together. It'll be on the screen if you've got a Bible. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. 
All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it or overpower it. Verse 6, there came a man sent from God whose name was John. That's John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, that's John, but John came to testify about the light. There was the true light which, coming into the world, enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own people did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. As I mentioned a minute ago, apparently John decided, if I'm going to tell people about my best friend Jesus, I want to start at the beginning. In John's day, um, what we would call the Bible only consisted of the Old Testament. And the Old Testament of John's day that most people read was translated into Greek. It's called the Septuagint. And the first two words of that Bible are these two Greek words, in arche, in, which translate into three words for us, in the beginning. And you don't have to be a Christian to recognize those words, right? In the beginning, what comes next? God created the heavens and the earth. That's in the beginning is how the whole Bible started. And John very intentionally decides, if I'm going to tell a story about my best friend Jesus, I'm going to start at his beginning in eternity past. But he hasn't told us who this is about yet. In the beginning, John wants his original reader to think not about the beginning of someone's life here on earth, but the beginnings of our universe before anything was created. And John says, back in that beginning, verse 2, the Word was with God in the beginning. And before that, in verse 1, the Word was fully God. So if we were reading this for the first time, here's, what I, here's where I think we would be at, at verse 2. All right, this guy John's going to tell us a story about the Word of God. Somehow, the Word of God was, was there with God in the beginning. It's somehow distinct from God because it was with God, but it was very much God. John clearly calls whatever this Word thing is fully God. 
And if we had a, any Old Testament background, like I assume most of John's audience would have, thinking of God's Word from an Old Testament perspective would have brought up at least four ideas. In the beginning, what did God do with His words? When God created our universe out of nothing, according to Genesis 1 and 2, He just spoke it into existence. He used His words. The Word of God was was the way God chose to create everything from nothing. But also in the Old Testament, the Word of God is what made prophets speak. In the Old Testament, again and again, we'll read things like this. The word of the Lord came to the prophet Isaiah. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel. The word of God made prophets promise stuff. Sometimes in the Old Testament, the word of God is a nickname for God's promises. Like when God promised a man named Abraham some things that were, that were still depending upon today. The word of the Lord came to Abram. And those were God's promises, his word, like me giving you my word, my promise. And a fourth way the word of God is used in the Old Testament is is as a nickname for wisdom, for divine guidance. So if we're reading this for the first time, and we have an Old Testament background like John's original audience probably did much of it, we would have thought this. John's telling us a story about God's word that is how he created everything from nothing and and how he made the prophets speak and, and it's God's sure promises and it is the wise course of action for life. And that wouldn't be too hard to understand. That's what God's word was. But then in verses two and three, John calls God's words or God's word a person. He calls God's word a hymn. And depending upon your translation, several times. God's word being a person is confusing (laughs) if we don't know this story yet. Don't get ahead of us though. It doesn't mean it's human yet because angels have personhood. They're personal and they're not human beings. And God is personal. We can know God. He has personhood, but he's not human. But so far, John's going to tell us a story about the Word of God that's a person. Confused yet? Just wait. There's more. Next in verses 4 and 5, John says this word is also life and light. He says it this way. In him, that's the word, in this word was life. And the life was the light of mankind. And this light shines in the darkness. And the darkness either has not mastered it, hasn't overcome it, can't understand it. That's a really difficult Greek phrase to translate. So we get lots of different translations. So John's already let us know before verse 4 that this word person was not created. Everything that has been created was created by God's word. And now, for the first time in the Bible, we're told that was a person that was God, but is somehow distinct from the Father, created everything. And another way John tells us this word 
was God is this, the beginning of verse 4. In this word was life. Whoever this word person is didn't have to be given life. This word person has life already in himself. He's the life giver. He didn't have to be given life. And and the life that he has, that he gives, is the light of mankind. It's what helps people understand truth, understand the best course of action. It illumines people to what is true and right. His light is stronger than the strongest darkness. You think back over this year. Has there been any dark times in 2017 for you? Here's what John would say. He hasn't told you who he's talking about yet. He said, I want to introduce you to somebody. He's a person who created everything from nothing. He is God's promises. He is wisdom. He's the life giver. And I don't care how dark things get, his light is stronger than the darkest darkness you've ever walked through. Who is this? He hasn't told us yet. But he does tell us next who did tell us. And this gets really confusing because he's going to talk about another guy named John and his name is John and there gets to be too many Johns in a hurry. In verses 6 through 8, John starts talking about a guy named, we call John the Baptist. You know, he probably should be called John the Berean. I think the Baptists are just hogging him. No, that's not why he's called John the Baptist. Um, John needed no introduction, and, and he was a big deal. His ministry was enormous. And John, the, the writer of this book, started out his career as a follower, a disciple of John the Baptist. And, and he didn't need to tell people who John the Baptist was, because he hasn't used his own name yet. John doesn't use his own name through the whole book till the very end. John the Baptist's sole purpose in life, the reason God sent him to earth, was to point out the Messiah when the Messiah showed up. In verses 6 through 8, the apostle John writing this says of John the Baptist, there was a man sent from God, his name was John, you've all heard of him. He came as a witness to tell people about the light so that everyone might believe through him. He himself was not the light. John the Baptist wasn't the light. He came to testify about the light. Why, do peop- why, why would people need someone to tell them about light? There's only one reason. Because we're blind. Blind people have to be told about light. And John existed to tell blind people who was the light of the world. In verses 9 through 11, John the Apostle tells us this light, the life giver, the eternal word, the one who created everything from nothing, actually came into the world he created. Usually when a, when a creator, um, when an inventor, when somebody who puts something on the map shows up at that thing he put on the map, it's a big deal. When Steve Jobs was alive and he went to Apple and had an event, it was a big deal. 
If Tom Osborne does something publicly at a Nebraska football game, it's a big deal, right? He didn't create Nebraska football, but he's a big deal. When he shows up there, it matters. If Henry Ford went to a Ford dealership, it would be a big deal, especially now. Well, here's what John tells us happened in verses 9, 10, and 11. This word, eternal word person, that, that I'm also calling the, the life. He had life in himself. He's the life giver. He's the light of the world. He actually came into the world he created. And you would think that would be a very big deal. But then he says, people didn't recognize him. People missed him. You know why? Because people are blind. The true light who gives life to everyone was coming or came into the world. He was in the world and the world was created by him, but the world didn't recognize him. The next thing John wants you to hear this evening, before he even tells us who this person is, he wants you to know how you can avoid making the same mistake the people did in that day. How you can Keep from rejecting the life giver, the light, the word. How do I avoid the error of failing to recognize or failing to receive the light of the world, the life giver? That word receive was a bigger deal then than now. It's a, it's a word of hospitality. Receiving someone is a word of acceptance. How do we receive? Do you see how John says we keep from missing the life giver? How do we receive whoever this person is? But to all who have received him, that's those who believe in his name. John says, believing in this word, person, life giver, light of the world, is how we don't reject him. Is how we do receive him and have fellowship with him. And when we receive him by believing in him, whoever this is, he hasn't told us yet. John says, we get to become a child of God. Not a child like the first time we became children, which was a decision of of parents. This is a decision that God decides that one who received, that one who believed in his name is my son or daughter. And in the rest of this book of John, John's going to make very clear that once God makes someone his son or daughter, he never disowns a child. So before he ever tells us who it is, he wants us to know how to receive him, which is believe in his name, believe in his his character, his attributes, that he is who he said he was, his identity. If we were reading this for the first time, I, I think we'd be a little bit like, all right already, who is this? He still doesn't tell us. First, he's going to tell us what, to me, what is the, one of the most Amazing statements in all of literature. It's John 1.14, and it goes like this. Now, the Word, that eternal Creator who created everything from nothing that I've been telling you about, that was God and is the life giver, that guy, 
became flesh. And your Bible might say, and dwelt among us. It's the word for, for tenting, like putting up a tent. He camped with us. He took up residence among us. The God of the universe who created everything, John said, he came and lived with me and my friends. And John says, we saw his glory. The glory of the one and only, full of grace and truth, who came from the Father. He put on flesh. He became flesh, which just means he had a regular looking body. He just looked like a guy. One reason why most people missed him, didn't believe in his name and therefore receive him. He had flesh. John said we saw that, but we also saw his, what's that next word? His glory. He, had, he just had flesh. He looked like a guy, but he had flesh with glory. That John, a first century Jew, would say a man had glory that came from the one and only is a mouthful. Here's why. One time in the Old Testament, God was so angry with the nation of Israel because they were chasing after other gods that God was kind of yelling at the nation of Israel through the prophet Isaiah. And he said to them, as he's yelling at them, God the Father said, you basically don't run after those, those false gods. They won't do you any good. You know why? And God says this, I will not share my glory with anyone else. I will not give my glory to another person. You see what John says about this word person that became flesh? He said, I was there. And he had the glory of God. God already told us, I won't give my glory to anybody else. So if this word person had glory, it's another way John's letting us know this person was God. Now we know how John saw the glory of this word person when he did miracles, when he taught, when he loved people. Something else that's striking about this verse, you want to know something that people have always wanted in the history of the world? They want to be able to see some visible manifestation of God so they know he's real. I won't make you raise your hand. But how many of you ever prayed something like, God, if you're real, would you just show me? Right? We all want this. Even Moses, the, the, the greatest hero of the Old Testament, begged God, show me your glory. God allowed Moses to see a glimpse of, of some manifestation of him as he went past. It changed Moses' face. He glowed. You know what John says here? Oh, you know that glory of God that everybody wants to see? He came and lived with me for three years. We were like roomies. Flesh with glory. All right, who is this already, John? Here's where John gives us the rock-solid identification 
that he's talking about Jesus. It won't sound like it to you, but this is where he points the finger. And everybody reading this would have known this is about Jesus. Here's how John says it. John the Baptist testified about this person, the Word, uh, the life giver, the light of the world. John told us about him. John pointed to him and said, this is the one about whom I said, he who comes after me is greater than I am because he existed before me. That's John saying, I'm telling you about Jesus. Here's how I know. Later in this same chapter, he's going to tell us that story. This is John 1.29. On the next day, John the Baptist saw who? Saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one. And here's the quote John just gave us. This is the one. Jesus is the one about whom I said, After me comes a man who existed who's greater than I am because uh, he existed before me. So John has just come out with it. This is how he decided to tell people about his best friend, Jesus. It's almost the bait and switch. Because by the time John writes his gospel, it's years and years after the cross. And, and people in his part of the world know Christians. They've heard about Jesus, many of them. And by this time, most of them have decided, mm, nah. And I think they get to this point. I think it's very possible people get to this point and go, oh man, this is obviously going to be a book about Jesus. This is one of those Jesus folks. And next, he's probably going to tell me to give up my whole life and start following Jesus. And I already decided a long time ago, I'm not cool with that. I think that's why John says next what he says next. Before you put my book down, before you put my book down, no matter what you think you're going to have to give up in order to follow my best friend Jesus, I want you to know it'll be worth it. He says it this way, For we have all received from his fullness one gracious gift after another. Or your Bible might say, We have received from him and grace upon grace. He just gives and gives and gives. If my best friend Jesus asks you to give something up to follow him, it'll be worth it and you'll get a thousand times better stuff in its place. In verse 17, he just says, He is greater than Moses. Moses gave us rules. He gave us grace. And in verse 18, he finishes with this. No one has ever seen God, the only one himself, God, who's in closest fellowship with the Father, has made God known. Translation of verse 18. Jesus, my best friend, the Word of God, creator of all things, life giver, light of the world, is the only way you can know God. You can get to know the God of the universe by getting to know my best friend, Jesus. At the beginning of the next book, John writes, he invites people to be friends with him. The beginning of 1 John, John says, you can have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. John says, I'm not telling you just a story about how I got to be friends with the God-man. I want you to be friends with him too. 
Now, I know that's not the traditional Christmas story. We didn't do wise men and shepherds and angels. We didn't do Joseph and Mary in swaddling clothes. But at the most foundational level, none of those stories measure up with what John just told us. Because what John said is, God, the creator of the universe, allowed himself to be known by becoming flesh. And we know from the other stories how he became flesh. We know about the the miraculous conception and the trip to Bethlehem and the, the labor and delivery in a stable And that baby somehow was fully God. Jesus is fully God. That's that's how John started his book. He's the life-giving creator of all things. He came to earth to make God knowable to us. It's hard to wrap our minds around all God is. But a first century Jewish guy is somebody you can get to know. And John told us we have a part to play in this transaction. We have to believe in his name. We have to receive Jesus the God-man by believing he was who he said he was. Or we're just another blind person unable to see who is the light. Will you pray with me? Father God, uh, we talk a lot as Christians this time of year about remembering the reason for the season, and it is Jesus. But God, you've told us in this book that the reason you sent Jesus is because you loved us, because you wanted to make yourself known to us, and you have invited us to receive you. God, uh, many of us here can't wrap our heads around all that you are. But we can believe that the promised Savior is Jesus. God became flesh to dwell among us. Flesh with glory, making you known. If you are here this evening and you have never believed in Jesus, I invite you to just tell God, God, I need you. I don't want to reject you. I believe that Jesus is your Son, sent to save me, that I might know you. We love you, Lord. Amen.
Amen. Hey, I want to thank you for being here tonight. Um, this We're going to be dismissed. Come on up, musicians. We're going to be dismissed just with this song. Uh, you'll recognize it, Silent Night. Um, grab some popcorn for your way out. Feel free to stay and visit. Um, but at the end of this song, you are dismissed to visit with one another, to go home and enjoy uh, the wonder of Christmas Eve and the wonder of God becoming flesh to do life with us that we might know him.